Before we begin, a note of warning. The language used and the topics explored in this podcast are not suitable for listeners younger than 18. Your discretion is advised. From the Spade and Archer Studios, welcome to Behind the Yard Sign, the podcast that pulls back the curtain to reveal the real world of real estate with your hosts, Justin M. Reardon and Amy Romberg. Amy Romberg, welcome back to Behind the Yard Sign. How are you? Great. I'm so glad to be here again. This is turning into this marker in my week that I get really excited about. Happy to see you. We're coming into spring. I can't believe it. This is so crazy. Amy's got her hair tied up in like a little twisty dude. She's like looking like a little sassy kitten today. I'm loving it. <laughs> so Amy, we're talking today about putting projects on the market. Yeah. Uh, like we're always talking about, of course, but as a newer agent, You've done actually an amazing amount of listings with us. I think like we're on the eighth one or something for less than a year. And to have eight listings under your belt is amazing. What's been the hardest thing about figuring out how to get houses ready for market? I mean, I... I... I think it's a little bit of an overwhelming initial, you know, you walk into a space and someone's looking at you like, okay, what do I do here? And I think for me trying to figure out what the most important things are to, I'm trying to serve as a support and a guide and a concierge and, you know, bringing all these pieces together so that we can get a house looking at its very best to go on the market. You know, obviously some of them are really clear. You walk in, there's a broken window, like you need to replace the pane of glass. Those things are super Mm -hmm. straightforward, but... That is literally one of the most common questions that I get is that a lot of times windows have broken seals. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a double pane piece of glass, you get this weird condensation between the two pieces of glass. It's still a perfectly good window. Like it's not going to let the rain come in or anything. It just doesn't look very good. And we get asked about that one all the time. And I always say like, hey, if you're in like a down market, let's say you're trying to sell a condo right now, which is kind of a down portion of our market, that's going to be a big deal. Like you really want to make sure that it gets fixed. If you're in a really up market where you're like, I'm thinking this house is going to sell in the first week, you're going to have multiple offers, things are going to be fantastic. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And also sometimes gives our inspectors something to find. (laughs) So your inspector cannot give you a report that says this house is great. Everything is perfect. They have to find something and a broken seal, a broken gasket on a window that's fogged up can be a really good thing to find. And it's really easy to fix really quickly. Like it's not something where you're going to have lead times are going to take months and months and months to get. So my answer is it depends. Yes. Okay. So Justin, how would you, let's say I come to you and I'm like, Justin, what are the three most important things when I walk into a house to be looking for in terms of getting a listing prepared for market. Let's say we've already decided on staging. That's going to happen. We're going to do that. But we're trying to do some of the work to make sure the staging really lands well in the space. It's one of the things I love about you, Amy, is that it's just a a given. Like, of course, we're going to stage. Like, why wouldn't we? Which is like, makes me (laughs) so happy. Thank you. Um, I always think about it in terms of what are people going to see first? What are people going to see last? Mm -hmm. And so 99.9% of our buyers out there are going to purchase based off of what they see on the interwebs. So our listing photos are going to be the number one most important thing. And our listing photo is generally going to start with the front exterior of the building. And so having landscaping that is nice and clean, a well-painted house, well-marked address numbers are Ah. hugely important because we have wayfinding issues. 
when you're looking for that house and you cannot find the address numbers and you're not quite sure if it's this one or the one next door and you're a little bit confused, of course, the sign outside is going to help. But having those well-marked address numbers really confirmed that this is the place that you're looking for. And I always go, it drives me crazy when you have like a dark gray house that has like dark gray numbers on it. I'm like, no, put white numbers on that so you can see them. <laughs> Don't make this so hard. The second thing is the front door. The front door is so important. Number one, if you have a screen door, get rid of it. It makes the entrance sequence really uncomfortable. And I have never met a screen door that was better looking than the door behind it. <laughs> Number two, make sure the locking mechanism works. Mm. If you find yourself writing in your realtor comments on the listing, <laughs> lift up and to the right and then turn the lock, you have a problem. <laughs> like that's that needs to be fixed. You shouldn't have to explain to somebody how to unlock a door. It should be intuitive. That is literally the first in-person impression that you have in terms of maintenance of this house. Mm -hmm. Did they maintain this house? The lock doesn't even work on the front door. These people have not taken care of this house. All of a sudden, I've got room for negotiations. So making sure that locking mechanism works well on that front door, that is my absolute biggest one right there. Yeah. The next thing that's going to hit our buyers as they're walking through is their nose. Mm. Do they walk in? <laughs> what do they smell? I do remember a phone call I had with you a couple months ago. It might have been a little bit panicked. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what do I do about the smell of fried food in a house? <laughs> Fried food's a tough one, and it's also a really easy one. So a saucer, you know, six-inch wide saucer, not a bowl, not a cup. We want something that has a large surface area, and we pour white vinegar into it and let it sit out for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it will absorb, like even if like fried fish, it will absorb that smell into that vinegar um, really easily. So fried food is, a, is an easy one to get rid of. Tobacco is probably our top three bad smells. Cat urine Oof. is number two on those yeah. top three bad smells. Dog. It's not even dog urine. And it's just dog. Yeah. Dog is a pretty much the easiest one of those because it's literally just vacuum and mop the floors. That will get up a vast majority because that dog smell is caused by a gland that's at the dog's under his tail, let's say. <laughs> And it's an oil that comes out that's on the fur that gives you that wet dog smell. Mm -hmm. And they have rubbed themselves all over the floors and on the carpets. And so usually a good shampoo of the carpet, a cleaning of the floors, and a vacuum will get rid of most dog smell. Cat urine is its own <sighs> specific thing because what happens is that it turns into ammonia after urine sits out for a while. It gets this urine smell. Spraying is a whole nother level of that. Yeah. And the only thing that I have found that removes that cat smell is isopropyl alcohol. Mm. So if you pour isopropyl alcohol, alcohol over the part that has like been marked or where there's been a lot of urine that's been put down. The alcohol goes in, it grabs a hold of that molecule and then actually evaporates out. It's a pretty effective one when it comes down to that. If you have concrete subfloors, it'll totally work on a subfloor. If you have wood subfloors, it will not work. Uh. And so yeah. if you have an area where cats have been marking for a long time and it's on a wood subfloor, the carpet needs to be removed, the pad needs to be removed, the subfloor needs to be removed and then replaced with new subfloor. Yep. Tobacco is an interesting one. Again, it's clean, scrub, vacuum, shampoo, probably replace carpets. Yeah. That's a big one. But tobacco is an interesting one because it will actually seep into the paint mm -hmm. and hold in the paint. So even if you clean the floors, the paint still has it. Yeah. And so there's a type of primer called B-I-N, bin by Zimmer, Z-I-M-M-E-R. And it's used for houses that have had fires. And you can prime with this shellac place primer. Um, and it will actually trap in the smell of smoke into the 
the wall so that you can then paint over oh, it. Wow. It's super toxic. It's really stinky. You have to have lots of airflow when you're painting with this. But if you paint over walls that have had tobacco in them with just one layer of this stuff, you can then prime it and paint it and the smell of smoke is trapped. Wow. Yes, okay. it starts you over. Yeah. A lot of times houses just kind of smell musty. Mm-hmm. Like they just have been closed up for yeah. a while. And I will see people do this thing that just cracks me up. They'll have all the windows closed and they'll just place fans in the space to blow the air around. That doesn't work. What we're looking for here is air exchanges. Yeah. We want the air to pass through the space. So you want to get two fans. You want to put one at one in the house in the in the window facing in so that it is pulling air in from yeah. outside. You want to place the other fan on the other side of the house in a window facing out. So it is pulling air from the house to the outside because you want air to transfer through the house, not just blow around in a circle. Mm-hmm. We have to think in terms of air pressure. We want the pressure to be reduced on the inside and then increased on the outside to pull air through. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Those are my big things around air. Yes. Yeah. Cause there's <laughs> nothing like walking into a house when you're just like, Oh, I just want to open a window. Like we've all had that feeling where you're like, I feel like I can't quite get any fresh air in here. And I just want to open a window. There's an occupied spell that really bothers people too. Mm-hmm. And it's when you catch a house right after somebody has taken a shower. Yes. There is a certain smell that if it wasn't you taking the shower, if it was somebody else, it really grosses you out. (laughs) And so I highly recommend people take their showers like an hour or two before a showing and then get out of the house. Don't do it right before the showing because you leave that weird, I just showered smell and it it makes you really feel like this is not my home. This is somebody else's house. I have never actually in a moment identified that I'm feeling that. But now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, absolutely. And it usually comes with a little humidity. Yeah, it hits you. Yes. It hits you. It touches your skin. You suddenly feel like very violated. Like, oh, I just washed some dude's nuts. Like, it's just... (laughs) It's terrible. Yes. It is not what you want in the house, for sure. It is yes. not inviting, and it does not offer possibilities to your possible buyers, does it? It's like, this is no, somebody no. else's space. It is marked. It's like a toothbrush. Yes. When you see your own toothbrush, you're like, that's my toothbrush. Yeah. You see somebody else's toothbrush, you're like, ooh, that's been in their mouth. Yes. <laughs> it's so gross. So starting from the front, the things you first see, and then what you experience when you open that door for the first time. All about first impressions. First impressions, first impressions. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to convince somebody to say yes to this house. We are trying to keep them from saying no. Mm -hmm. Those are two very different things. When you see your first three houses, when you're buying houses, you're like, all right, convince me, make me say yes. After you get past your third house, you're so over it. You're like, just give me one reason to say no. (laughs) Just just one reason. That's it. Tempt me. I dare you. Um, And that's where our attitude starts to go. And we have to think about selling these houses in terms of like, just please don't say no. Just don't say no. Just keep, just keep looking a little further so I can get you to eventually, maybe you'll say yes. Well, and it's interesting too, just thinking about that front door key thing, like the quick perceptions that people make. I've worked with some clients and basically trying to convince them that every house we see is not falling down or in complete disrepair behind the shiny veneer. That's sort of what they bring is this general suspicion that everything is wrong. And I, I think it could start from a creaky front door or a front door that wouldn't open. That does definitely sets a tone for what what you're going to find. We start in a real estate transaction, we start from a place of mistrust. Mm -hmm. And it is only during time and during the transaction that we start to build trust and alleviate mistrust. It's why at Spade and Archer, why we don't use fake plants or blow up mattresses, because those are lies. (laughs) Those are lies. 
And you're like, this is a plant. No, it's not. It's plastic. Uh-huh. This is a bed. No, it's not. That's air. And so we are constantly trying to remove those mistrust issues away from those categories. Because if you're starting off looking at a house and the first thing the seller is doing is lying to you, that is not a great place to start off yeah. your relationship with them. Somebody you're trying to negotiate with and make it through a 30 or 60 day closing period where you have to trust each other. Yes. A lot of people like get really pissed off at us that we don't use fake plants and they just think that we're being snobs, which is true. I'm totally a snob, but it's because of the mistrust issue. Yeah, absolutely. And yes. also fake plants are jacky. <laughs> so are, do you want to go and grab, should I go grab Alexandra? No, I'll go grab her. Is yeah. Your turn? Is it I'd my, like your to, turn? Yeah, I think it's okay, my turn. Cool. I mean, I think last time the whole like speedo thing, you got that one. I got this one. All right. Yeah. I was super disappointed that after our last guest was back there, he was hanging out with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Afterwards, they were like, that's it. We're never coming back. And I was like, what happened? And so I I don't know, I'll have to find out. <laughs> Alexandra Kerr, it's so great to see you. Welcome to Behind the Yard Sign. How are you? Oh my goodness, it's such a pleasure to be here. I am doing fantastically well on this beautiful Monday. Happy Monday to you. <laughs> Happy <are> Monday. You? <laughs> Happy Monday, Alexandra. Nice to meet you. <laughs> likewise, likewise, Amy. It's such a pleasure. Alexandra Kerr is a real estate agent with Compass uh, in the greater Los Angeles area. You can find her at the Compass website. Thank you so much for being here, Alexandra. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Alexandra, can you just give us a brief history of like where you grew up, what your family life was like, what your education was, your first jobs, and how you ended up being a real estate agent? How much time do you have? <laughs> hours. We've got hours, I tell I you. I have a very, very interesting background. So I was born in New Hampshire. My mother and father met in New York. My mother immigrated from Germany back in the early 60s. She was working for, believe it or not, Ferrari in the 60s. <laughs> she had a lot of people come in that famous people from Miles Davis to Steve McQueen. And one of the rules in the company was you can never date any of the clients. They're all going to ask you out for coffee or whatever drinks. You can't do it. And so relentless request after request, she just said, nope, 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 can't do it. And then my dad came in, this just salt of the earth guy who just happened to have a little thing for cars. And he occasionally would buy a car or two and they weren't expensive at the time. He said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And she said, absolutely. So that was was the beginning of my my parents' relationship. Sadly, it didn't last. After a few years, they divorced. So my mom and I moved to Boston for a short time. My mom was a single working mom. I became the quasi ninth child of a family that lived on the first level. It was a sort of a triple apartment home that we lived in. And we were on the third floor. And this family on the lower level, they were a family of eight, eight kids and parents wow. in a basically two bedroom apartment. Some of the happiest people I could ever possibly describe to you in terms of nothing ever phased them. They were just lovely. And they said, well, Margaret, my mom, do you need help with your daughter? Since clearly you're working all the time. And she said, I do. And they said, well, take care of Alex, as I was called after school. And I became the ninth O'Brien. So that was a very pivotal chapter in my life because I had a lot of very positive influence from that family. Very Irish Catholic, again, also salt of the earth, really, really wonderful people. From there, my mom ended up moving back to her home country, Germany. So we moved to Munich, Germany, when I was about nine years old, which was a a bit of a shock coming from the United States. And 
Did you have any German at that point or were you very little English speaking? Very little. And I ended up going to boarding school, which people to this day are so shocked to hear that at the tender age of 10, I started boarding school. But it was really, truly the best experience ever because I lived in this idyllic setting on a lake. We had all these den mothers, as they were called, that just took the best care of us. And my mom was a full-time working mom. And so with that, I would have been otherwise a latchkey kid. So it was sort of a silver lining in that regard. She also, after I had started boarding school about two years in, she married my stepfather, who was the CEO of a major Fortune 500 company based in Connecticut, but they wanted him to move to Paris. And so she and my stepdad moved to Paris, but I ended up staying in Germany in boarding school. And I would go occasionally back and forth over vacations. Never really truly gained an appreciation at that age for what is probably the most magical city on the planet. Um, (laughs) I just, you know, I would arrive and say, where's Burger King? Where's the McDonald's? Where's the mall? (laughs) As opposed to my wonderful stepsister who would smoke Jetan cigarettes and wear a little beret and dated a local, (laughs) you know, French university student. I just didn't get it. Now, in hindsight, I I kind of absorbed a lot of it and, and really still have such a love of that amazing city. So I did learn a little bit of French and I obviously learned German in full, as you can imagine. But then we, my stepfather ended up getting transferred back to the United States to Connecticut, which again was a bit of a culture shock. And I ended up going to boarding school in the middle of nowhere, very rural Connecticut. And, you know, and I, I'm mentioning this because as you can see, I've just had these very different chapters in my life. And I think they all served me really well in my business in the context of flexibility and always having the need on my part and desire to meet people from all walks of life. I think that sort of was a result of that. After I went to boarding school, I went to Columbia University in New York and really developed a passion for filmmaking and thought I would be the next great film producer. And I was lucky enough after I ended up going to grad school at Syracuse, I got a job in Germany, interestingly enough, with a company. I was very sort of in awe of a lot of European filmmakers. So I I was excited for the opportunity. I ended up working for a sort of consortium of three producers, one French, one German, and one British. And I was working in Munich. And and it was a really incredible time because it was in the early 90s when there was just a whole new movement for towards independent filmmaking, both in Europe and in the United States. So it was quite an honor. I got to work with a lot of amazing film directors, including Louis Malle, very famous French film director. And then as things kind of developed, they said, well, Alexandra, we really need you in LA. We're going to set up a company there. And I was a little mystified by the prospect of moving to LA because I didn't know it from Adam. It was like, it was like Mars to me. It was such a a foreign country. Yeah. Foreign country. (laughs) Like it was my then boyfriend, now husband who said, let's give it a shot. Why not? Let's try it. And so I landed in LA and I set up this company and we ended up uh, producing a number of indie films, including The Usual Suspects, which was really such an incredible experience on so many levels. So influential to our entire culture. That was a really incredible experience. We went on to do a couple of other great films. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's first movie called Heart Eight. But then I got a a bit of the burnout factor and I decided to go off on my own thinking I'm going to be my own independent producer, which as you can imagine, it's unlike real estate, you are connected to what is in this 
business and or that business, a hierarchy that's so been there historically for so, so many years. And to break into that is really hard to do. And interestingly, all this during all this time, and even by the way, when I was probably in my early 20s, my mother, who was in real estate, so there is that piece that also ties into where I'm at now, who always said to me, oh my gosh, you'd be, you'd be a great real estate agent. And I just would look at her, frown at her and say, what do you mean? I'm going to be a filmmaker. Quit trying to ruin my dreams, mom. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. And it was at that point where, again, I had that kind of burnout factor. I was looking for just to be my own person, for one, and also just a little bit more of flexibility and not the grind that I had been so accustomed to. I ended up, rather than going straight into real estate, I was a relocation consultant for a really wonderful boutique company here in LA. Um, Started, founded, and still to this day operated all by women. It is just an incredible organization um, by the name of Quest Relocation Group. And I just happened to reach out to them. And the one of the co-founders called me and said, wow, you are perfect for us because you've just had such a kind of multifaceted experience growing up. So you're not afraid to, you know, work with people if they're coming from, let's say, Tokyo, or if they're coming from Paris or Tulsa, Oklahoma, whatever it may be, you have that understanding of dealing with people from all walks of life once again. And they welcomed me with open arms and it was just an incredible journey I had with them. But I was still being pulled in a way that is hard to describe. But again, partly my mother whispering in my ear, you know, you really should get into real estate. And and I did end up making that segue um, with the blessing of this wonderful relocation group who I still have an incredible relationship with. Yeah, it's a wonderful journey. Uh, when So you started off with Crest in real estate. How did you find your way to Compass? And how is Compass working for you? Does it does it fit in with your uh, work ethic and your, your story, your core values? 150%. And it's interesting because I started my real estate career working um, at a different brokerage at Berkshire Hathaway, which I loved. I, I was very happy there. I worked on a team initially and um, it was just a tremendous starting point for me because I had the opportunity to work for people who I really admired. They were doing multi-million dollar deals and they just gave me the opportunity and said, look, we can't do it all. Can you help us with, for example, some of our lease clients? And I said, of course. And that's something I say really emphatically that I think was important in the building of my career because I just took whatever I could and doing little tiny leases, whether it was like somebody looking for a studio apartment really helped me learn the business, number one. Number two, it was uh, just a way of building relationships. Leasers become buyers. Absolutely. In our Seattle and our Portland markets, there's a lot of real estate agents don't touch the idea of the leaser or the renter. And in our Los Angeles market, that's very much a part of the real estate oeuvre, the, the scope of work that they're covering. You're the first person who's ever said to me, like, I'm down to work on a lease. And I asked you why. And you talked about the idea that, like, they become buyers eventually. So, yes. you know, or yes. they recommend you to somebody. That's so, exactly. yeah, it's fantastic. You start that relationship and that relationship just carries you. That makes so much sense. It does. It does. And to this day, it's really benefited me. I, I have no hesitation whether it's for the relocation company or just people that call me, friends, colleagues, or referrals. Hey, will you help this person? They're looking for a, just a little lease. It's it's not going to be a big commission, but I know that 
something good can come of it. And, and I always learn in the process. You know, I get to learn the inventory that's out there. I get to really understand better what's happening in the rental market. And so with that, that's that's really been a boon to my business. But to your question about Compass, again, I was working at Berkshire Hathaway and had no intention of leaving. It was I was very happy there. I had a fantastic manager, built great relationships with um, a lot of uh, other agents. I had eventually left the team, by the way, but we stayed in the same office, still very positive, amicable relationship that, you know, came from that. I just kept getting this phone call from one of the recruiters at Compass saying, would you be interested in sitting down over a cup of coffee um, just so we can tell you what we do and what we're all about? And countless times I said, no, I'm, I'm happy where I am. But then she, this wonderful gal, you know, we still have a very close relationship. She finally convinced me. She wore me down, basically. So we sat down and I was very just kind of ready to, I mean, I, I was barely paying attention initially. It was like, okay, I'm just here for a cup of coffee. Finally just wanted to get this gal to stop bothering me. And then she just started talking and telling me about the company and and not only what they could offer me just in terms of financials and marketing, et cetera, but the culture. And I really paused for a moment. And it was something that was so new and revolutionary, I think is the word for me. And it, it also just resonated in terms of my own values and my own sort of professional approach to how I conduct business. And, and it's interesting because even today, I got an email from Robert Rufkin, who is the founder of Compass. And, and he sends emails almost on a daily basis to every agent all over the country. And he tells these little stories. And the story he told today was having your own values and living them not only in your life as a person, as a whatever it may be, mother, daughter, but as a professional. That is something that I have to say really connected for me or connected with me at Compass. And I'll never forget this gal, this recruiter took me in for a tour. When I walked into the main office in Beverly Hills, there's a list of Compass mantras. And I don't have them all in my head, unfortunately, but you can see them on any, basically any Compass website. But one of the things that I saw on this poster was collaborate without ego. And it Mm. was like, what? I mean, it's revolutionary, revolutionary in a business <laughs> yeah. that is so can be so cutthroat and for good reason, um, self-serving. Um, that was something so new and, and different. Immediately, I drank the Kool-Aid and they won me over. I signed a contract within a matter of, of days and have not regretted it. It's been just an incredible journey from the minute I started the level of service and support has been just phenomenal. And again, that sort of culture that I referenced in the beginning that I think really comes down from the top, specifically from Robert, it's it's very palpable. It's really interesting. We had just talked about this idea that like, you know, you'll take on a lease because they become renters. And this one thing that pops out to you is this collaborate without ego. In uh, the real estate industry, all of your colleagues are also your competition. And so everybody is like a frenemy. And it's funny that that little instance that you had just talked about, and then you walked in the space, and then this is the one phrase on that wall. You're like, I can't name him verbatim, but this is the one that like hooked me in. You said that uh, that over time, people just tend to reach out to you. They just call you. And so I'm wondering, what is the thing that you think you do that separates you from the pack, that makes you memorable, that makes people want to pick up the phone and be like, yo, Alexandra, let's do this. Like, what's the thing that makes people want to work with you? Going back to just that mantra of living your 
your values, where I think there's a level of sincerity and dedication. I mean, maybe number one, I love what I do. I mean, helping others, and I think that's what real estate is all about, is is something that I constantly, every day, it's sort of my calling. With that, it makes it very easy for me to put my heart and soul into helping people. As an example, I mean, I'm helping this wonderful family from Chicago. And this is an African American family who they have worked all their lives, basically, um, the husband and wife to achieve the level of success that they success that they have. He is a USC professor, and they have two little girls and they've just moved here to LA. And it's overwhelming. It's a sprawling city. And it's the cost of living is high. And I've said to them, and I really mean it, even sharing with you that, you know, I feel a higher purpose, whatever it takes, I'm going to find them the home that they will be happy in for hopefully many, many years to come. And it's it's no easy task for, you know, a variety of reasons. But I think that level of dedication and sincerity is, is really key. There's a sense of being myself where I'm not afraid to say, oh my gosh, I'm having a really bad day, but I'm really happy to talk to you. And, and how can I help you? It's I think that kind of self-effaced level of connection just helps people understand that you're there for them. I will say, and that is an important piece in the business, it's not just I'm sincere and dedicated. It's also knowing the business. And that's something back to as we were talking about, or I was talking about early on, that, you know, having worked for a team, I had the opportunity to, to see the ins and the outs of the business. And I really got down and dirty myself where, you know, I would show up at the office Saturday morning and do my market research, pull out, you know, all the statistics and talk to people, other agents, sales managers, what's what's happening in in the market. So I think that is an important piece. And and of course, the added component of experience is is definitely a value add. I think that's where I'm now at a point I am getting a lot more phone calls, a lot more referrals where people know that I've got a lot of experience now under my belt. And so I can pass that on to them in a valuable way. I'm not sure if either of you are watching a show that just recently came out on Amazon Prime called Them, which is about a black family that moves into a white neighborhood in Los Angeles. And to hear your story and to listen to the stark contrast in which real estate has just basically done a turnabout in the last hundred years around black families moving into white neighborhoods is such a relief. And it makes me feel so much better about where we're going. If you are in real estate and you don't have a history of what the real estate industry has done to black families in the past, I highly recommend watching this show. Mm -hmm. It is horrifying. It's categorized as a horror TV show, but it really tells an amazing story. It's very hard to watch, but really an amazing story and very visceral as to what real estate and the black community and their relationship with each other. To hear your story just warms my heart to be like, yay, this is a person who cares about this family and they want them oh to be gosh. in the right place and you know, Absolutely. just willing to help. Yeah, and, so beautiful. And part of Thank it you. is also I look at their two girls who are seven and nine. I have this thing where I think about what their lives are going to be. I think of, of this with every family that I work with and I want them 
to be in a place where they feel safe and happy and, you know, that they have all the means at their disposal to get a proper education. So there are lots of facets in that regard when it comes to the real estate process and and helping people like that, you know, because it's not just number one, the house, but then it's also the schools. And I think empathy might be your superpower. I always say that preparedness is my superpower. I think empathy might be your prepared, like might be your superpower that you're able to like take a step into this like seven-year-old black girl's life and be like, what is going to make this chick happy? What is going to make her life great? And I mean, that's a really, that's such a talent to have. Yeah. And, and I think there's also a level of resilience that is, is really imperative in this business because there's a lot of rejection. And that's really interesting because that was one of the things that my mom said to me. She said, I think you're going to make a really great agent, but you just have to know that success in that business is basically 99% rejection and 1% success. Are those odds better than the movie industry though? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) This is is a walk in the park compared to that industry. Jeez. I think you're right in that regard. I think you're right. You know, I think it's important for people to know newcomers to the business. It's, It's not just because you hear so much about homes are selling over asking price and it's it's such a great business to jump into and it's it's not easy it's not easy and you really have to be once again prepared for that level of rejection but also the rewarding side of it which for me personally I mean yes of course there is the financial but once again knowing that people are happily have landed in a home that they are happy and they send me pictures of sitting in their garden every now and then I have I have this happen to me all the time and it's just it's so rewarding and gratifying to know that they found their place. Alexandra, I'm I'm loving this so much. So I'm, I'm a newer agent still. I'm maybe coming up on a year in this business. I have a mental health background and I'm, I just find myself sitting back and listening. I'm forgetting to ask you questions because I'm so appreciating the conversation about values and how um, that is what moves you in this business. And I, I think when I decided to make a career shift, there was a lot of question for me about how do I do that? And I'm, I'm just so appreciating your story and thinking about you and these clients that are just landing in LA thinking, oh my gosh, how do we pull all this together? And you being that the net that catches them on all these different levels. So it's really wonderful. Well, and kudos to you because honestly, I, I can't imagine a better sort of background being in mental health because, and, and I say that kudos to you because I don't think a lot of people realize how important that piece is in our business. Mm-hmm. You really mm-hmm. have to be in in large part, you're you're not just helping people find homes, but you're also helping them psychologically, mentally, emotionally to adjust to a new lifestyle. The process, not to mention the process of buying a home can be just grueling, (laughs) grueling. And that's where being, you know, sort of a guide and slightly maybe a therapist in some fashion can really be helpful. And sometimes it's, it's difficult circumstances. You know, I mean, I just got a referral or not even a referral. It was somebody that I had spoken to years ago and he just called me and he said, you know, I just got divorced and I have two children, uh, 13 and 16, and I need to find a home that's within reasonable distance of my now ex-wife, but I want to start something new. I, I just need that change. You know, he's thinking about Malibu, for example, like being near the beach. 
reach. And, and so I said, look, that's what I do is help you sort of make that transition as easy and seamless as possible. You just did that empathy thing again. Like I barely know how old I am and you know all of your clients' children's ages <laughs> by heart. And it's just killing me. And, and Amy is being a little bit self-effacing. She is a new agent this year. But Amy, how many deals have you done so far this year? I've done a couple. <laughs> I've done a couple. couple. I've done a couple. Uh I've done a handful. I have, I've been really lucky. I think she's done like eight with just with us, just on the listing side. Are you kidding? That's amazing. Killing it. That is amazing. Well, that speaks volumes. Once again, as I said, it's not an easy business. It's not something that you're doing. You're sitting at a desk nine to five and then you go home. You have to be incredibly proactive. And and clearly it shows that you've been, you've done just that. She's got a good community. She's got a good support system. She's got a good work ethic. She, I love she it. managed to land herself a, a hosting gig on behind the yard sign. <laughs> Highly coveted, by the way. So, yeah, watch I've out for that. I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> the harder I work, the luckier I get. Yes. Yes. That's what, well said. Well said. Yes. Yes. Uh, Alexandra, just tell us about the the moment that you're just like, ugh, why am I doing this? Like, tell us about your worst day in real estate. What happened? I'm going to give an example that I think is helpful to newcomers to the business. It's something that's going to happen to all of us in real estate, whether it's early on or you're a seasoned agent that you're going to get fired by your client. Mm -hmm. It happened to me early on when I had just left the team and I was on my own and and it's it's funny because I happened to meet, speaking of just that connection and empathy and all those elements that I sort of bring to the table as a realtor, that's how I met these people. It was in a restaurant, oddly enough, and it was a family, a couple moving from London, American, but they had been living in London and they had a little baby girl. And we just started chatting and, and they said, well, we're living in an Airbnb now and we're looking to buy eventually. And I said, well, this is what I do. And I'm happy to help you because I also work in relocation. I know a lot about different neighborhoods in the city, but I was still a very new agent. It was a bit of a challenge, first of all, getting them pre-approved. And then I quickly realized that I needed to offer them guidance and I tried my best. Um, They had identified a property in a part of LA that's really great for families and they just immediately fell in love with it. And, And I said, okay, let's write an offer. And then the husband started having second thoughts about this particular property. And his sister, also being a real estate agent, came down to LA and said, let me see the house. Oh, good. Uh, Right. (laughs) Okay. And I could not be there that day. So it was one of those perfect storms, right? Perfect storms. And at the end of the day, and we had an accepted offer by then, the husband called me and said, we're canceling the deal. And we've decided we are moving in a different direction were, were the exact words he used, basically, you know, severing the relationship with me. To this day, I, I wonder, think to myself, what was it about that experience that he may have had with his sister at the house? She may have said, oh my gosh, this is just not a good house. I don't know what it was. Other things about me that he may have come to the realization of that just weren't the right fit, maybe. And that I just didn't have the experience. I think that was probably the number one thing. And it was crushing. It was crushing to me because I had shown them countless homes and developed a really wonderful relationship with the wife and even the little baby girl. But I think that they were just so nervous about having getting the proper guidance by a professional. And they just 
didn't feel that I was quite there yet. And as I said, it was crushing to me and I took it initially very personally. And that's when, again, it sort of came back the thing that my mom always said, it's, you know, 99% rejection. And what I ended up taking away from that though, was after the period of just complete, you know, wanting to crawl under a rock and stay at home and never come out again was, okay, I need to do better. I need to improve my skills. I need to really offer better guidance. And I ended up just taking it as a positive. But I think it's really important that inevitably, once again, whether you're a new agent, seasoned agent, you're going to get fired at some point for whatever reason. The key takeaway is don't take it personally. It's if anything, it makes you stronger, hopefully better. And I think that really juiced me up in a way where it was like, okay, the next one, I'm going to nail it. And I did on the next buyer, I really did my research and I really came in prepared and, you know, ended up finding them a great house and everything went swimmingly. I think there's a huge lesson here. And that's that it is harder to get fired than it is to not get hired in the first place. And all of us as, you know, as a home stager, as a real estate agent, we deal with situations where we're trying to get hired, we're trying to get hired, we're trying to get hired, and the client picks somebody else for whatever reason. My sister's an agent or, you know, my cousin's boyfriend's aunt's dog walker is a real estate agent and they hire that other person. So often it's so crushing. It's so hard because you're like, oh, I really wanted to work with those people. They seem like such a great match for me. It would have been a really good commission, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. And if you think about it, if they chose not to work with you, that may have just saved you the worst nightmares of your life that you could have been fired later on, or it could have been a terrible relationship or it could have, and it's, and it's okay. It's all right to not get hired sometimes. My staff has a really hard time because of course they build these relationships with with our clients. And when sometimes our clients decide not to go with us and I'm always like, that's okay. That just saved us a bunch of hours for 15 more jobs we're going to get. That's okay. Another thing to add to that that I'm just now realizing like, great, they can't fire us now. (laughs) So like one less disappointment I won't have to go through. So absolutely, that's a great story. That's a great lesson to learn. Yeah. My hope with Behind the Art Sign is that I hope that by having experienced agents on here that newer agents are who are considering to become agents can learn these lessons the easy way by just listening to you tell them, even though it's hard to recant that worst day in that vein. Tell us about your best day, the day where like it all just went right. Oh my goodness. It's like, I think about it almost every day because it was such a, an incredible journey. It was a long journey. That's the other piece. You know, it wasn't just easy. It was a very long journey. It, It started with an open house that I had done on behalf of another agent while I was still at Berkshire Hathaway actually. It was one of those weekends. I think it was right around Thanksgiving. So nobody wanted to do this open house. And it wasn't the perfect house on top of it. It was very unique. And I knew it was going to be just dead. But I said, you know, every offer to hold an open house is is a privilege. And so I I said, yes, of course, I'll do it. And I did it. And again, it was, you know, we're talking three hours, you're just sitting there kind of twiddling your thumbs. And just within the last half hour, this couple walked in with their very sweet little dog, I thought, you know, gosh, it's probably just some looky lose from the neighborhood. And we really connected and hit it off. They were interested in the house, but not to the extent that they wanted to make an offer. But they ended up staying loyal to me, even though they knew many other agents, had met many other agents. And it was not an easy journey because, first of all, um, just to get them 
qualified was a process for a variety of reasons. And then second, just to find the right home. They were really particular about the kind of home that they wanted. It honestly took two years. And this is where I think the kind of stick to it aspect of our business is so vital, where you just have to really stay on top of things and never give up and never take for granted. Even if it's after a year, you think, oh my gosh, this is going nowhere. Forget it. I'm just going to drop these people. Stick with it. Because again, year two, we ended up finding the right house. Mind you, after we had already put an offer in on another house and it was a grueling, grueling process and they did not get their offer accepted and they were crushed. But they ended up in the house that they're in now today after, gosh, now it's been six years, I believe. They love that house even more than the house they had initially wanted. And they're so happy. It was... um you know, I think one of the things I learned from that and I told them, and I still like to tell people that very same thing, lots of clients who just get frustrated in the process of finding that perfect home. I use that example that sometimes it can take years. And I say the home that's meant to be yours will be yours. And and that I think is a really great example. And, and I'm so grateful to them that they were remained as loyal as they did. Again, it was our journey together. And if you hadn't done that Thanksgiving three-hour open house, yes. you know, I seem to remember Amy Romberg being at my house on New Year's Eve, <laughs> getting my house ready for an open house because wow. we just sold our house two years ago. And Amy was there, like, you know, pulling out bottles of champagne to serve to people. <laughs> you do what you do. Well, who the Go try, Absolutely. yes. Alexandra, it's been an absolute pleasure not only chatting with you here on Behind the Yard Sign, but also working with you. You've been um, such a godsend for us in our LA offices, and thank you for being a loyal client. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And I just, if I may, I really have to say what an incredible experience I've had with Spade and Archer. It's been amazing. The last staging that we did, my sellers had sort of their own vision of what it should be and what it was supposed to be. They had a few questions about some of the staging in terms of preparation, et cetera, that Spade and Archer was going to do. And they really, I'm sure, took up way too much time of um, team. But needless to say, when it came out as it reached sort of the final stage, they were so happy. And and what really, I think, was the ultimate proof in the pudding was every single person that came through commented on the staging. And I think that makes a sale. I really do. I think that is the first and foremost. I tell every seller that staging is the key and the right stager is is even more the key. Not only do you have such an incredible eye for design, I mean, this idea of nothing being fake. So instead of like a TV monitor, you know, you have like a vintage movie camera. These are the things that I think really translate to so many buyers in this day and age. There's just a, a level of exactitude in a in a design sense that is unlike any other. I, I have to give you so much credit and it's been such a pleasure working with you, not only in terms of your design sense, but also in the way that you present and pitch your product. I've never known another stager to do it in such a professional manner, number one. And number two, in a way that no other staging company offers. <laughs> Can you just follow me around and tell every single person that I work with that story over and over and over again for all times? I will, I will be totally pay more you. than happy <laughs> Best to. Best pitch ever. Mm. <laughs> 
Thank you so much. It's Thank my pleasure. You. Alexandra, where's the best place for people to find you? Go to my Compass website. Uh, if you look up Alexandra Kerr, you don't even have to enter Compass, but once you do, you'll see there's my Compass website. I just Googled you and Google wants me to, t- to Google Alexandra Carey because oh. your last name K-E-R-R It wants me to add a Y to it. Alexandra Carey is an actress. So just take the Y off when you Google. You'll find her. Alexandra Kerr. Exactly. She's a real estate agent with Compass in the greater Los Angeles area. Alexandra, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Wow. How delightful is she? She's great, isn't she? She is wonderful. I really loved her stories, too. I really just caught myself kind of sitting back and wanting to hear more about those early years and the time in Europe as a kid and still looking for Burger King. I loved that. I had pictures. You know that that children's story, Madeline, where the the little... I was like, your life was Madeline. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm sure it wasn't all peaches and cream, but like... Really interesting story. Clearly someone that's done amazing things. I'm finding myself as a a new agent. Obviously, she's someone with so much success. And I'm kind of thinking about this relationship. I think she said something about how all of our colleagues and coworkers are also the competition at the same time. And finding myself periodically wildly intimidated by the level of success of agents around me, thinking about that competition thing, trying to figure out how to manage and how to think about it, how to frame it in my day-to-day interactions with other agents. Okay, well, let me ask you this question first. Like, what is success? What is, how do you define success in your career? I think success will probably be something that is an, like my definition of success is probably ever evolving. I definitely feel really amazed and grateful at the level of success that I've had in this business so far. And that comes from a number of things that comes from simply being able to do some transactions in my first year. That's a piece of that success. And then I think all the other things that go with it, I feel like I've made really amazing connections and solidified connections in my first year. You being uh, one of those, Justin Williams. <laughs> so we'll just put you, we'll just put a little chalk mark by your name up there. I like it. Also though, I feel like success, you know, sort of on a larger picture is also like, do you like how your life is going? I mean, it's not all about work, right? And so another piece of this that makes me feel successful is that I think I'm I'm balancing a family life that continues to feel really satisfying and continue to be interested in my own projects. And that's a pretty broad definition, but those are the things that... We talk about success a lot in the Reardon household. You know, I have mm-hmm. a 16-year-old son and around, I don't know, 17 years ago or so, right before I had my son, I was having a meeting with a woman named Susan Papps, who was an HR person at, at Brereton Architects, where I used to work. She had a really good relationship with her parents. And I do not have a good relationship with my parents at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have always, whenever I found somebody who has a good relationship with their parents, I've always asked them, like, how did you manage to have a good relationship with your parents? What did they do that, that made you want to, like, actually interact with them as an adult? And one of the things that she talked about was this idea that her dad gave her a very well-defined definition of success. And it was three points. It was, you are happy, you are Uh self-sustaining, and you don't Uh hurt yourself or anybody else. And (laughs) if you can do those three things in conjunction with each other, like all at the same time, you are successful. What I thought was amazing about it was that there was no like title. There was no doctor or lawyer or like agent broker or there was no numbers attached to it. It wasn't a hundred thousand dollars or 15 real estate transactions per year. There wasn't really anything attached. It was just happy, self-sufficient. Like you can clothe and feed yourself. 
And then don't hurt yourself or anybody else. And so we have used that definition of success in our household for a long time, which is funny because as you were, I put you on the spot, Sarah, but but as you were kind of like working (laughs) through what your definition of success was, you kind of hit on all three of those points. Yeah. Happy was also translating to like healthy, you know, with that good mental health in the job. Absolutely. And so I think if we start from a place of like, these are the three things I need to hit. Success is not a destination. Success is a journey, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. none of those things had a final period point like this is where you have to be in order to be successful. You look at other real estate agents or other home stagers and then you say to yourself or other business owners or whatever whatever businesses that you do, okay, so uh, Johnny G, he does, you know, 95 transactions a year. Okay, well, is he happy? Is he, does he hurt himself or anybody else? And is he self-sustaining? I know a ton of people, a ton of real estate agents that do a bazillion transactions a year. And I can tell you they are not happy. Mm -hmm not happy in the slightest. And so when we are looking at our competition, who's doing what quote unquote better than us, are they, Mm -hmm. are they, how do we look at these people and say, okay, you know, and, and the real estate agents are notorious of putting this really glossy facade on their lives. And they have this beautiful social media presence. I'm guilty of it too. I wish that I could tell you that my family gets along and smiles all the time, but you know, like my husband was cranky this morning. My son was pissed off because his alarm didn't go off. You know, there is a real life people behind these glossy facades. I guess the first step would be like, how do you get a look behind that glossy facade? And maybe that's what behind the yard sign is all about. And so... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the place to check out your competition. I don't know. I mean, who? Uh, what do you look at when you see another real estate agent that you think is more successful than you? What do you think they are doing that you are not? What do you think they have that you don't? I don't know yet. I definitely feel like just being so new in the business, there's just these people. We had a big company meeting and we all know those names. You know the names of the people that are like just rocking it out there. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. years in the business is certainly important because I think you grow confidence, you grow your ability to be an advocate for your clients, you have a better understanding of transactions and what happens in this field, what it's all about. I mean, I still have things happen where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have to stop and think this one through. And, you know, the answers don't come easily for me. So I think that is most certainly something that comes with experience and time in the business. Real estate agents will work with multiple home stagers. And I made a rule a long time ago that I do not follow other home stagers on social media. I do not follow other home stagers websites. I don't look to see what they are doing because inevitably I feel crappy about what we're doing and that I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not happy enough. I'm not well enough. Oprah gave this speech years and years and years ago. She, do you guys remember Phil Donahue? Remember who Phil Donahue was? Are you too young for that? No, I do. Absolutely. When a caller would call in, he would say, is the caller there? And then he would start talking to the caller. And Oprah was talking about how she used to watch Phil Donahue every single day. And in her second or third season, she found herself saying, is the caller there? And she said to herself, I can't, I can't do this. I can't try to be Phil Donahue. I'm never going to be Phil Donahue. I need to be Oprah Winfrey. Whatever it is that Oprah Winfrey does, that's Mm -hmm. what I do. Uh, The healthy way that I do check on my competition is this. When somebody comes to me and they say, I was working with another home stager and I've been doing that for a hundred million years and I'm ready to give you a try. I will always ask the same two questions. What did you love about working with the other home stager? Why did you decide to try somebody else? Mm -hmm. What were those two reasons? Help me understand Mm -hmm. that. From that, I get the non-glossy version 
of what people like and what people don't like. And a lot of times it's really simple things like the consultant would show up wearing a t-shirt and sweats and I need somebody to be dressed professionally when they show up or they wouldn't let me change out the furniture that I didn't like. And those are things that like really bother people is professionalism and control, right? And so that's been the way really from for me to best check in my competition is through my clients that have used other people before. That's been a great way for me. Well, yeah. And I think asking people like, you know, when I have the opportunity opportunity to work with folks who maybe are new to the area or maybe are using me and not an agent they've used previously. I think those are great questions to ask. Like, what did you like about your past home buying experiences? What worked well for you? What didn't work? Because then I think you just take a pulse of, you know, what's important to this client. For somebody, it's going to be like, oh, I want to know everything that's happening at every moment. And for somebody else, they're like, don't bother me <laughs> with any of that. You know, we all have such different, different things that make us tick, different needs in all of this. Right. And I, I love that idea that you know, when it comes to customer service, meet your clients where they are. And we talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh yeah, you need to contact Alexandra Curry. Well, she responds best to text messages or, you know, they just love email. They, this person is all about phone calls. And so we always try to communicate wherever mm-hmm. our client wants to communicate. And for us, we don't care. We'll communicate any way you want to. <laughs> and so a lot of that yeah. is like trying yeah. to find that stuff out. Yeah. I actually have some clients right now who I have recently realized do not actually check their email unless I tell them there's something in DocuSign waiting, <laughs> which makes it really hard when you're like, hey, I'm sending, I'm doing a search for you. I mean, granted, they're doing their own looking these days, as most clients do, but I do have an active RMLS search. I am sending you things. They don't say, right. <laughs> but it's been a good, like I've altered now. I'm now I'm texting them things. There are people who are like, I check my email once a week and that it just isn't mm-hmm. a part of their job. Our jobs, we are just live and die by our email. But a lot of people don't do that. I think my son yeah. checks his email once a week. My husband probably checks it twice a day. That's about it. But email is a really good place for, yeah. I always try to talk to our staff in terms of like, email is a great place for things that are important, but not necessarily urgent. Test messages are for yeah. things that are very detailed, but not necessarily urgent. If it is detailed, important, and urgent, you got to pick up the phone, especially if it's bad news. You got to pick up the yeah. phone because you cannot read emotion in a text Ugh. message. You got to pick it up and be like, hey, I've got bad news and here's no. how we're going to deal with it. You know, but you don't want to call somebody up and be like, here's the address and start reading the address off to them. Text it to them. <laughs> That's yeah. details, right? You need the exact yeah. address to be able to get there. So using those different forms of communication are super important. Amy, what's the best place for people to find you? I am easily found at amyromberg.com. AmyRomberg.com. It's fantastic. Um, I would love to thank our producer, Nicole Durkin, who's doing a fantastic job. And our editor, Richie, thank you for always making us sound smarter than we actually are. You should hear these raw recordings where like this. (laughs) Not really. Uh, If you've got a story that you would like to tell, you can always reach out to us. You can find us at spade-archer.com. Just click on the podcast link. It'll take you to lots and lots of ways to get a hold of us and to listen to the podcast out there. I would love to say thank you to all the people who've reached out to us before. Our music is composed and performed by Joff Metz. You can find him at fivestarguitars.com. We really look forward to seeing you next time, Behind the Yard Sign. This production of Behind the Yard Sign was brought to you live from the Spade and Archer Studios. Spade and Archer Design Agency is the world's first guaranteed home stager.